Buenos dias, guapos y guapino. Wait, I took Spanish a long time ago. Let's just cut that. Okay. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Tinderella Tales, the podcast that takes you through the crazy world of dating online and using dating apps and doing that one thing that your mum always told you not to do, talking to strangers from the internet and then even worse, meeting up with them. You psychos. So we are back today and we have an exciting episode for you with Lizzie from Open Your Eyes campaign. So I'll be joined by her shortly and she will explain everything. But first up I just wanted to say a disclaimer, a little trigger warning at the beginning. This episode does contain a fair amount of content on the subject matter of like rape, sexual assault and other sexual violence crimes. If you think you're likely to be triggered by that you've been warned. Don't feel like you have to listen and you can always join us next episode for another exciting trip into using dating apps and how to stay safe with them. Anyway that's enough garble from me, let's roll. So today I'm joined by Lizzie who's the campaign founder of Open Your Eyes to Domestic Abuse so she's agreed to talk to us today. Lizzie could you explain a little bit about that please? Yeah hi so I started the Open Your Eyes campaign after um, being in an abusive relationship from the age of 16 till I was about 20, right before lockdown started. Um, And I tried to report this to a number of outlets in my university and found that it wasn't really going anywhere. And so one thing that I really wanted to campaign for was firstly education, more education in educational institutions um, for young people um, who need more awareness on this sort of thing, and also for disciplinary procedure reform in universities and schools so that survivors can get more justice. Awesome, cool. Yeah, that's something that we're like really trying to focus on as well with the whole Tinderella tales, increasing the amount of education on sexual assault and then things like rape and just generally like dating and safe dating practices because it's something that seems so washed over in school, then it's such a crucial part of our life. Tinderella tales is a project that obviously I'm doing for my FMP for the university um, as part of it and then we've got PARD which is an app that runs alongside it which is people can check in when they're going on dates with people they don't know and like log who they're going with and whatever so it's like a good idea (laughs) like we've all got that designated friend haven't we for when you go on a date and you're like who am I going to text to let them know don't hear from me by 11 (laughs) yeah I feel like whenever one of my friends goes on a date I'm always like right text me every half hour where are you going so I know George pick you up yeah so that's so good that there's an actual app for it a couple of them that have sprung up over the past couple of years there was a bracelet thing that I saw yesterday called flare as well and it's like a little bracelet with a built-in button in it and you can hit that and then it will either send a memo to the police or one of your friends or something or you get a phone call to your phone with someone being like I need you to come help me or something and I thought that was really clever so like a key part of Tinderella Tales is the idea of re-educating people to prevent the lead up to people becoming perpetrators of like sexual assault rape and potentially worst case scenario murder and you're relatively in the party of you can educate people out of that aren't you absolutely I think to a certain extent I mean there are unfortunately some cases where you know a perpetrator nothing's going to stop them um especially educating I think there are some instances where education won't necessarily prevent it but I think education overall is the best preventative measure that we have at the moment even in terms of just breaking down this rape culture that's especially schools and universities it's not so much about educating individual people who might turn out to be perpetrators it's more about targeting really vulnerable groups of people so for example um one thing that we're really um passionate about is educating male dominated sports clubs because we kind of thought right so where kind of in society is all this coming from right it's it's this culture it's this kind of passive bystander culture where you see something happening and you kind of let it go and we just thought right male dominated sports clubs that's what really perpetuates this rape culture because you know as we've all seen over the last couple of weeks not not all men but <laughs> I think this whole pack mentality really doesn't help and this is really perpetuated in sports clubs and I know being the captain of a sports club myself which is very male dominated it's very apparent how much people turn a blind eye to behavior that's inappropriate and that's because there's this family atmosphere in a sports club you're a team you're there for a reason it's very competitive but if something happens outside of the reason that you're there so outside of sports basically they're going to turn a blind eye and use the excuse of oh they're my family they're my boys whatever and so it's really about educating these people that might not necessarily turn out to be rapists but 
our neighbours. So it's about educating those kinds of groups of people that might see something happen and not say anything. And it's just about starting a conversation. That with the preventative measures, there's also people like specifically autistic students or neurodiverse people in specialist autistic educational institutions. Neurodiverse people are far more likely to be victims of sexual assault, sexual abuse than neurotypical people. And I've read a few articles on that and from the personal opinions of some people who have autism, this is just because people who have autism or they're neurodiverse, they generally find it a lot easier to follow instructions if there are set clear instructions. And so this can be very difficult when it comes to elements of coercion, uh, sexual coercion and things like that. So I pass, I have a, an autistic brother and when I was talking to him about my campaign, he just, he's a lovely, lovely little boy and would never hurt soul but he I remember he said to me he said I wish there's a clear list of things that also mean no because his brain is very black and white he he responds to clear instructions mm-hmm. so that's where I kind of realized like oh my goodness his education is completely failing him I mean he would never purposely hurt someone but it's really important to kind of teach you complexities of sexual coercion and sexual violence and things like that and explain things that they might not necessarily be obvious to people who aren't neurotypical yeah so same goes for victims who are neurodiverse um i've read lots of accounts of women who have autism and they said they didn't feel empowered to say no because they feel i'm sure this isn't the same for everyone but from the accounts that i've read they feel extreme anxiety going against instructions so if someone has told them they have to do something they feel obligated to do it which means that they're at a higher risk of being assaulted Mm -hmm. and again that this isn't blanket for everyone everyone kind of responds differently but generally there are lots of papers on it and I've seen that this is a huge issue within the autistic community and I think while educating people might not necessarily prevent all Um, perpetrators I think it could definitely help even if it just empowers victims to speak up and realize actually this is wrong because I know some of the things that happened to me I didn't realize I knew that they were wrong but I think when you're in a relationship and you're young you're a child basically when you're like 16 you don't feel empowered to say anything you're like oh it's just a one-off like you don't really think about it but I think someone this conversation is present and you're talking about hey this is wrong you're kind of like ah yes this is wrong I should go speak to someone so yeah only when you kind of say explain a scenario to a friend or something and they kind of call you out on it and you think yeah that is wrong but I just kind of swept it under the carpet exactly sometimes you just need you just need the conversation to be present because this is what I feel about education it's not just about implementing one consent seminar in like sit forms in universities and freshers week so that's pointless without further discussions it's just about starting a conversation and if we can start that conversation in curriculum then people feel more empowered because sometimes you just need that that extra support knowing that everyone's talking about this everyone knows that certain things aren't okay and that feels makes you feel more empowered to speak up because otherwise you just feel like you're really going against the grain if no one talks about it and you feel like you're doing this huge thing by standing up and saying something happened to me but no one talks about it it's a lot more scary yeah so do you think it's as much about like starting the conversation and giving people the environment where they feel safe to then have those conversations as it is about educating them in the first place absolutely I think I would almost say that starting these conversations is more important than just having the education as part of the curriculum but it's about how do we start these conversations unfortunately the only people who are going to be having these conversations to begin with are the people who want to be having these conversations the people who actually need them aren't going to be talking about this right now which is why you kind of need this compulsory education embedded in our system that will make them start thinking about it and yeah, yeah that's what I kind of think about it I know it won't prevent everything but it will improve the situation with like passive bystanders and enablers. Hopefully we'll start to stand up when they see something, we'll stand up if they're experiencing something. And then there are also some complexities where people just, unfortunately, I mean, they should do, but sometimes people just aren't aware that they're doing something wrong. I mean, I remember in my sixth form, um, and we had a um, like an assembly thing on consent and they read out loads of, examples of rape like if you're having sex and you change your mind halfway through but you but like the man or whatever carries on 
is this rape? And they made you like stand up or sit down if you disagreed. And for every every situation, at least half of the students were still standing up and half of them were sitting down. So they really didn't know what was right and wrong. You should do, but it's evident that people don't. So we obviously yeah. need to educate them more. <laughs> I think that's the thing. So there's so much like of a grey area around what equals consent. And then when like when you have to stop and just draw a line under it and say, no, this person doesn't want this anymore. I really like the, um, have you heard the tea analogy? No. <laughs> oh, so it's like if you're making someone a cup of tea, I can't remember exactly. If you're making someone a cup of tea and then you boil the kettle and you pour the hot water on top of the tea bag and then they say they don't want a cup of tea anymore, you can't force them to drink the cup of tea. Or if they fall asleep halfway through drinking the cup of tea, yeah. you force them to finish the cup of tea and things like that. So <laughs> that's so that's so like simple, but it makes so much sense. It's just and that's the thing, it's with that tea analogy, it's not a grey area at all, but so many people think it's a grey area especially mm. with sexual coercion and things it, it's considered a gray area because everyone's like oh does that count everyone thinks that you know rape is you have to be kicking and screaming and that's not mm. the case and I think people think it's a gray area but it's absolutely not it's just a matter of showing people anything other than an active yes then it's rape and I think it's shocking to me how many people don't understand that I just I just can't believe it yeah <laughs> so that's why I think we needed a bit more education <laughs> There's so many friends that I've spoken to since I've started this project that have said, you know, oh, well, I didn't really want to, but I felt like they'd be angry with me. So I did. Or, yeah. oh, well, I'd had quite a lot to drink. And I mean, it happens sober. So if it happens when I'm very drunk, that's still OK. And it's like, mm, no, those exactly. are not situations. Exactly. And I think a lot of the focus on my campaign to educate people, it's a fine line between educating victims and victim blaming. I don't want to victim blame people. This happens to you. It, it's wrong. Or you should take preventative measures and things like that. But I don't want to say that victims need education because it should never have happened to them in the first place. But I feel that particularly for young people who are victims of especially domestic abuse, which can be so confusing at such a young age. I mean, 16 to 18 is the age where you're just starting to kind of figure <laughs> figure everything out mm. um, so, you're, so you don't really know how you're supposed to be treated I feel like I personally could have benefited loads from education just from an empowerment point of view just from you know like you said friends going I don't know if this is right or not or you know just knowing that some things just aren't okay and you do need to talk to someone in a way that doesn't blame you for what's happening I mean I have friends that even like the other week they were going we're laughing about it and going oh he was so stupid for staying in that relationship and I was like you, you don't understand like a lot of people don't have a kind of understanding of what's involved in a kind of abusive relationship and things that might not sound like victim blaming but absolutely are and I think certainly a lot of especially young people in abusive relationships are being being threatened physically they're scared for their life if they leave things and I just kind of let it go because I didn't want to have to explain all the all the things that would happen if I left but it's just there is this culture of victim blaming and even though they're my closest friends they don't mean to sometimes those things slip out like oh you're so stupid for doing that <laughs> well it wasn't really my choice <laughs> and so there is this culture of victim blaming which is why again on another level education it's not just about educating perpetrators it's about educating everyone involved people who witness it people who support victims things like that what to say what not to say it's just no one talks about it no one knows what to do and there's a lot of triggering things going around and I think it just all needs to be kind of settled because as we've seen 97% of young women it's insane that's pretty much everyone we know yeah. every woman we know so it's obviously something that affects absolutely every single person so why aren't we talking about how to deal with it? It's just how I feel about it. This is the thing when people are going hashtag not all men and you're like, well, 97% of women. Where are these men hiding? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think it was one man doing all of that. Like, <laughs> he seemed really busy if it was. Exactly. It's just insane. Yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously, you've said like in when we were chatting before this as well, that there's a really, really fine line between like educating and victim blaming. And like, yeah. how do you think organisations can go about educating people better without it coming across as, oh, well, you need to prevent it yourself? I think that's a really difficult question. That's something that I personally struggle with. And it's something that I'm always thinking about when I'm doing my campaigning. And it's something that I'm always thinking about. I mean, whenever I'm talking to my friends, or my sister like going 
going out on a date or going anywhere really and you want to kind of say to them like you know do you have do you have your phone don't walk home on your own call me for a lift text me like when you get there everything who are you going with send me your location all of these things that that are kind of safety measures and I find it really conflicting because it's like I I don't want to say these things because it's making it sound like if you don't do these things it's your fault or if anything happens but it in reality they shouldn't have to do those things anyway and it's, it's such a fine line because I want to make sure that they have these kind of safety precautions in place but I never want them to feel like it's their fault if they don't so yeah shouldn't have to. and so I think that's something that I'm still kind of navigating myself because I don't want to not put that information out there because sometimes it is really useful to know how to defend yourself but that's not to say that if you don't know how to defend yourself that it's your fault if anything happens and so I think I think the way I would navigate it is still unfortunately we do live in a world where you do have to give guidance and advice and put safe precautions in place um but I think that should all kind of come with a disclaimer saying but also you know it's not your fault that you have to do this like absolutely it's really really difficult it's something that I'm still trying to figure out and I think if people had opposing opinions I'd be so open to hearing them because I still don't know how to navigate the area because obviously I don't want people to feel like it's their fault but at the same time when it's something so close to you like I imagine my sister going out and walking home alone in the dark I would never want that to happen I don't (laughs) you know what I mean it's such a difficult area no absolutely yeah I think that's the thing as well when it comes to educating people and stuff a lot of I'm going off at bit of a tangent sorry I'm looping back around to something you said earlier where it has to be like mandatory education and then it's kind of thinking well how do you make that mandatory how do you force people to sit down and engage with you and listen to what you're trying to say but also then actively participate in it because a lot of studies are showing that passive delivery is is not working yeah absolutely and I agree with that and that's something that our team has been really trying to think about is I mean I was speaking to some freshers at my university and they said oh yeah there's this kind of consent course online but we will just kind of sit there do it and leave and reality is just kind of implementing one compulsory consent thing isn't going to work which is why we're trying to target most not target that sounds really aggressive (laughs) but kind of look at the most vulnerable groups of students the not vulnerable most vulnerable to the effects of rape culture on whatever scale so there's genuine vulnerability on the scale of like really vulnerable students like students who are female or basically not cis men and then also neurodiverse students and then on the other scale male athlete I don't want to say like all athletes are like terrible but that is kind of where the culture perpetuates is in sports clubs and yeah. in that kind of environment you like, know like, in America like frat kind of houses and they are also really vulnerable to rape culture but in a different way and so it's just about trying to start these conversations that's why I like the term starting conversations rather than teaching which is why we try and do workshops with kind of the men in sports clubs that's something that we're trying to get set up and we're going to do a trial one pretty soon with my own um, sports club so it's more interactive so you go into like breakout rooms and then that's like a haunting word for uni <laughs> students breakout rooms with like kind of questions where they have to talk about it and they have to ask questions they have to answer questions things like that because I feel like even if there's this whole thing in universities it's very very formative I feel like they go oh yeah if they are up for even listening to you they're like oh yeah well in a compulsory consent workshop and it's always in freshers week and it's always half an hour long you just take the box and you're done and that's it Mm -hmm. and that's no incentive for anyone it's not going to help at all I just it's performative it's completely performative and so that's why I think they have to be fairly interactive I think they have to be kind of targeted at the right kind of group we start a conversation get them talking about it a lot maybe revisit it do a lot of work with them like I was working with a campaign I think they're called bold voices I was in a workshop with them last month and they were talking about how I can't remember which uni it was but there was a men's football club that was in a bit of trouble with regards to like sexual assault and then the year following they really wanted to turn things around and so they did loads of work with this um, campaign Bold Voices and did loads of workshops loads of charity work with them to kind of show support victims and I think it's just that thing I think it's just working with people and it's not something that can just be implemented on a national scale even though that's a good place to start it's a good place to start showing that like the government addresses this issue they're putting it in the curriculum I think that's a must but it's not going to solve the issue and so I think we need loads of these smaller campaigns that are doing really targeted 
in-depth work with little groups of people to like slowly change it yeah I was gonna say and I promise I promise it does kind of relate a little bit to dating apps yeah no (laughs) because like so much of the problem with dating apps is like it exists in the mainstream as well it's just Mm. it's so like concentrated I think in dating apps yeah definitely I was having an interesting conversation with someone the other day as well who was saying in face-to-face world we've had like thousands of years to develop communication and know what's not necessarily right like right and wrong because there's still so many people that as you were saying like that they don't necessarily understand things that are wrong yeah. uh, where things have moved so fast in the digital space we've not really developed that kind of rule book of what you can and can't do yeah absolutely it's very it feels very very detached as well it's really difficult to kind of make genuine connections and in some cases can but it's also again very difficult to navigate those kinds of relationships that you make on dating apps like I was just thinking about I mean I managed to get out of my relationship right before the first lockdown or pretty much as the first lockdown started because I was like I'm at home I'm safe now you can't come near me sort of thing so um that's when I entered my relationship and I mean it's been like over a year since since that happened and so I tried getting back out there on dating apps because during a lockdown you can't really do anything else and especially my family they they're like considered vulnerable so they wouldn't let me go out and like you know meet people which is fair Mm. enough because it was against the law at the time (laughs) um so trying to navigate like getting back out there on dating apps can be so hard for like victims of abuse and assault as I've kind of learned more about it and I've been speaking to other victims of domestic abuse and it's really interesting because for me I was kind of in a place or I still am in a place where I still feel like I would probably need to trust someone a lot before I was able to kind of go any further with anything which is I think what's kind of held me back on dating apps because I'll kind of have a conversation with people and then when it's time to kind of step things up I just kind of wimp out and I just can't and I just end it and I think that's kind of symptomatic of dating apps in general as well it's just it's so hard to kind of build that level of trust beyond you know further than a screen I think that's really really difficult in general and then I think it's just magnified after you're coming out of an abusive relationship when you need that extra layer of kind of trust and security and you're like just behind a screen it's I think I really struggled with it and I'd make loads of connections with people and I'd be talking to people and then I just couldn't follow through yeah and I think it's really interesting because I kind of dealt with it in a way that different to other people I didn't realize I kind of assumed that you know most victims of abuse would really struggle to trust people and move forward but actually that's not the case and I was speaking to a couple of other people who had been in abusive relationships and they found that they were really hypersexual so they felt that their way of healing was to kind of take control over their own body and have lots and lots of consensual sex you know to feel in control of their mm-hmm. sexual autonomy basically completely different to like how I dealt with it and I think that's really interesting because they kind of turned to dating apps for that as well but after speaking to them because I in my work I speak to a lot of young victims of abuse and they really struggle with that they were talking about how they feel this need to kind of trust and be open with someone because they feel like they haven't healed yet they're almost they're like perpetually sleeping with people on dating apps and that's not bad at all I mean that's how they heal and there's nothing wrong with that and having as much sex as you want but I think they really struggled with this idea of anonymity with the dating app because they crave this hypersexuality um, which is completely fine but then they also crave this element of trust and familiarity which you can't get with a dating app I know that won't be the same for everyone but the people that I've spoken to have kind of said that and they really struggle with that and I think that's something that I've struggled with as well because I feel like I'm ready to move forward but in a pandemic (laughs) there's only so many avenues you can explore and then so that's already kind of limited the dating pool and then when you get on dating apps that kind of limits it even further because I think there's a whole level of anonymity on there and a lack of kind of intimacy that's not necessarily bad it's good if you're looking for that but I think in my case and a lot of other people who are survivors of abuse it's really difficult to navigate moving forward on and out yeah so much of digital communication is so you can be whoever you want to be and you're very like withheld from it because you just you can portray yourself however you want there's a lot of anonymity but it does then mean that there's a lesser connection yeah I think that's okay I, th- I think that's fine because I mean I'm not necessarily looking for anything like serious but it is 
it's less personal than like meeting someone at a bar or at a coffee shop or something like that and I think when you've just gone through something so intensely personal I think it's not about commitment or intimacy it's just about this human element I think it's so hard to make a human connection I know that sounds so like weird and wishy-washy but it's like when you're behind a screen it just does take away that human element I mean you can't like read their face you can't interact and like pay off each other like that I think I'm one of these people anyway that's like very sarcastic in person but on a screen it just kind of strips that back I think when you go through something so personal it's really weird to have a connection with someone that lacks that human element so even if you're like connecting and you've been talking for a while if you haven't met face to face there's this whole personal element that's lacking it's just really odd it's just odd (laughs) I think (laughs) there's nothing wrong with it I think just when you're in that headspace it just kind of feels a bit weird but having said that I think dating apps can be great I think I know loads of people that have had success with it and I'm not opposed to them I mean I have them (laughs) but I think they're just interesting it's just different (laughs) so you said as well you've not had much of the jump from digital communication to like meeting in the flesh because when it comes to that it's kind of it is a big jump for you you had any that kind of made that jump if that's not too personal a question no it's fine so I think there are a few like factors at play I think one of them is like location and the pandemic <laughs> so it's hard yeah. to like meet with people anyway especially when you're like moving between home and uni and everything but there have been a couple of people that I kind of continued speaking to for like a couple of months and like with FaceTime things like that and it was just a really odd experience for me but it was as if we had met and been like going on dates and stuff but we had never met and it was just really really weird experience and then when the time comes to kind of meet I'm kind of like this is really weird like I've never met you and and I think I just get spooked so easily just because of like I just suddenly kind of feel it's like a huge it feels like a huge jump meeting someone online getting to know them online and then I'm just kind of really scared to make that jump because it suddenly feels so real and I kind of freak out that I'm not ready for it but I don't think that that's necessarily a problem with dating apps I think that's just part of like a healing process separate to that like healing from an abusive relationship but I think that I would I wouldn't be surprised if I was not the only one that felt like that I think that it can kind of speak to you a bit more if you're in a place where you're not necessarily ready for anything <laughs> yeah, absolutely I personally haven't experienced what you've experienced but I've like had when long-term relationships have ended and then you're kind of trying to get back out into the dating pool yeah. and then like you're talking to people for a while and they're like oh do you want to go get some dinner or something and it's pre-pandemic but and they're going do you want to get dinner and you're like oh oh this has got yeah, <laughs> Because it's like when you're on the app, I mean, I always joke that it's like a game, <laughs> like you're swipe, swipe, swipe. Like it just feels so impersonal. Like it just feels like you're playing a game and then suddenly it's real and you're like, oh, <laughs> I just like, <laughs> I don't know. They've like um, gamified something that is a human connection and it's supposed to be so yeah. and everything. And then they've made it into something that with like swipe left and swipe right and like how many matches can you get you almost feel like you're accruing points in a computer game or something oh my god yeah that's such a good way of putting it yeah they've literally gamified the human connection and I think that I think it almost tricks you into being ready for something that you're not I think people who are fresh out of relationships fresh out of like healing from abuse or assault as well and then again yeah like just people who've just exited relationships that might not necessarily have experienced abuse I think it's this kind of friendly enticing thing of it feeling like a game like you're behind a screen it just doesn't people don't feel real on there Hmm. um and so you kind of and then it kind of hits you that actually maybe you might not be ready for this but yeah it does just feel so I think that's what I was trying to convey when I said it wasn't very personal I think you just hit the nail on the head they've literally gamified a human connection and it just kind of entices you in makes you feel safe they almost which don't is part like of the reason why I think characters yeah you don't feel like you're speaking to a person at all um and then when you look at like all your matches you're like oh my god like these are all actual people like imagine them all in a room there's <laughs> just so many like it's just crazy like it wouldn't happen like that in real life far from real life beyond anything else it would just be like massively overwhelming <laughs> so yeah exactly I think if you had like that queue of people right in front of you it would be so overwhelming but on a game you're like just and I think that's part of the reason why a lot of violence can occur from 
dating apps as well is because it's so impersonal it's easy to feel like you're speaking to a character I mean I can't put myself in a perpetrator's shoes but I would imagine that that would be an element that would play into kind of assaulting someone that you met on a dating app is that they're not quite real yeah um, but they're so yeah. dehumanized that you don't feel yeah perhaps don't feel so I don't know guilt about it or something yeah and sometimes I do wonder if women are already so heavily objectified I wonder if making them characters on an app would almost add to that objectification that might be like a huge leap to make but I just wonder if that I don't know maybe doesn't help the situation it's such like a concentrated dating pool then yeah. and you kind of think exactly. oh well, it doesn't work I'll just move on to the next one and so many to choose from yeah that don't seem real things like that yeah I just wonder I'm coming across as very negative <laughs> about dating apps but I think they can be positive but it's just a whole different experience to just being in real life it's just a whole different realm completely different social interactions and like you mm-hmm. said we spent thousands of years learning how to interact with each other and this is just a whole new thing I think we've got so much level. to learn about how to interact in like in a digital space and like how yeah. to conduct ourselves and absolutely yeah the safety aspect is a huge concern and like we were talking about earlier it's such a fine line between making sure people are safe and victim blaming because you do want to you know when my friends have dates I'm always like show me who it is you know where are you going what time will you be back and you don't want to do that just out of principle but we have to which is really sad yeah it's crazy because you also realize at some point that when you're talking to them and saying tell me who it is where you're going what their name is everything about them you're basically saying who am I going to the police if anything happens yeah about when you put it in that context well my friends basically said that to me at one point and I was like when you put it that way that's terrifying it is terrifying and it it makes it makes them feel like they're doing something really really dangerous when it shouldn't be that it should just be like meeting up with someone for a coffee but it just unfortunately it is a really really dangerous activity which is so sad because that shouldn't stop you from doing it you should Mm. be able to go on dates with whoever you want sleep with whoever you want you should be able to but we're just in a position where that happens to be an extreme sport (laughs) which is so sad (laughs) I love your wording of that that dating is now an extreme sport (laughs) it is (laughs) (laughs) classified with like base jumping and things like that (laughs) 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 I'd love to look at the statistics actually I wonder if you're like more likely to you know have a huge accident base jumping or like a meeting a strange man (laughs) (laughs) comparing the statistics of using like dating apps compared to yeah base jumping That's quite a good idea. Actually, you might look into that because I'm sure <laughs> the dangers of just being around men <laughs> is very extreme when you look at the amount of people who have been harassed. Yeah, it's, it's so sad, and we joke about it, but it's just like it's everyone. It's it's everyone. It's so sad. Mm. But yeah. Do you? Sorry, I'm going for a total tangent again, but it was just something okay. I was thinking of. Um, do you predominantly speak to like just women then, or do you speak to like all genders or? Mm. No, no, so it's not exclusive to cis women at all. We try to make the campaign as exclusive. Uh, sorry exclusive inclusive (laughs) inclusive as possible and I mean I've even had like cis men talk to me and stuff we don't want to be exclusive with it at all um yeah I think I've tried to be really careful with the campaign and not and not kind of make it exclusive to cis women because when you use the just the term women it's very exclusive there are many people um you know that are non-binary as well that absolutely are fully involved in our campaign and so it's not exclusive to cis women at all and it it doesn't necessarily exclude cis men either I mean we've had it just depends on who wants to approach us really I mean I've had cis men approach me and talk about their experiences which is absolutely fine as well I think it's when I talk about you know the issue regarding cis men being kind of perpetrators or not not all of them but you know talk about I make that connection I think I'm just looking at the statistics. I mean, statistically, it's majority cis men that are raping people. Yeah. Um, That's not to say that women aren't. It's just I'm addressing the majority issue. And I try to be as sensitive as I can in the posts and things and explain that that's not always the case and, you know, be, be as inclusive as possible. And so I think it's really important that 
we kind of include all marginalised genders. And I mean, being a cis white woman, I'm absolutely not the most marginalised person at all. You know, I have a lot more privilege than other people. And I think it's really important to kind of acknowledge that we can't just be fighting for like our rights. We have to fight for the majority of like marginalised people as well and kind of open up that space for them to talk about it. I think one thing that we're working on, we're working on getting people who have different experiences to ours to do like Instagram takeovers and stuff and talk about their experiences that we aren't really qualified to talk about. So we want to get, you know, non-binary women, trans women, black women, all kind of talking about experiences that it would be inappropriate for me to talk about, but they're issues that they need to be heard. So yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to be exclusive by kind of talking about cis men as the perpetrators I'm just kind of it's not targeted at them it's more in support of marginalized genders and yeah. being a cis man you're not marginalized absolutely yeah I think what you're saying as well about looking at like working with other people who are of like the marginalized genders or groups for them to then recount their stories and things like that is really interesting as well because as you say like as a, a white cis woman it's very easy for us to have our privilege and just kind of run with that but in order for us to properly give a platform yeah. to people people of like all backgrounds genders it is it's difficult for that to come from us absolutely and I think this was something that I spent a lot of time like thinking about and talking about with my team and I just I mean we kind of launched our online space around the same time as the Sarah Everard case and I just kind of kept thinking like why does this movement happen now that it's a white woman and I think that doesn't make it any less sad but it just speaks volumes for what people are willing to care about And so I thought it was really important for me to kind of shed light on the fact that it's not just about us. There are people out there experiencing far, far worse at the hands of the same perpetrators. And it's all kind of interlinked, this idea of systemic racism and sexism. It's it's all interlinked. And I think it's really important to shed light on that. But at the same time, we need to provide a space for people to talk about it, because that's just as bad if I start talking about, you know, the experiences of marginalised communities preaching about it. I have no experience of that myself and I'm just taking away from their experiences and perpetuating this idea that people will only listen if it's a white person speaking Mm. so I don't want to be that person that's just sharing their experiences for them why can't we open up this space for people who've actually experienced those things to talk about it so that's something that we're working on is kind of getting like a little roster of people to do takeovers so they can talk about their experiences because I don't want the platform to feel really exclusive and closed off from people I want it to be an inclusive space for people kind of talk this sort of thing and there are personal experiences as well so yeah I think it's just really important that we kind of make a space for people to talk about their own experiences and then you're kind of like building the platform but also then providing them with it so that they can yeah I think that that exactly and I think that that would be quite a nice way of going about it that (laughs) is what I want to do is just kind of make it as inclusive as possible and we're always trying to brainstorm ways to do that and you know the campaign is in its early days and we're still most of the stuff that we have planned is still in the planning stages it's in like a little calendar so we haven't actually posted about it yet but that is what we're working towards we just are always talking about how can we make this more inclusive how can include more people and yeah because there are just so many things out there that the media doesn't reflect morals basically they just talk about what they want to talk about which is derivative of like systemic racism and oppression and I can't rely on the media to accurately portray what's happening in life like what we saw with Sarah Everard case I mean it, it's so heartbreaking what happened to her it doesn't make it any less heartbreaking but it just shows two bodies were found in the same week one was black and one was white in which one was a whole movement centered around it's yeah it's heartbreaking there's such a lack so of diversity and coverage yeah we can't rely on the media to accurately portray our society so I think it's up to us and when I say us I mean like just everyone in their everyday lives just educate yourselves and find things out that you can't necessarily get from the media <laughs> yeah for sure because there's so many people that aren't they like they're just not given a voice in like mainstream media and then and it's when it's only when you really start sort of digging into things that you then find out about that kind of stuff so I think that's just so sad that we have to dig around to find this kind of stuff which is why we kind of want to highlight those kinds of platforms that people are speaking from so that people don't have to look as hard to find these people talking about their experiences for sure where I see an email as well about like have you seen any effective methods um of like other people campaigning as well even just what you've said about have you seen any action being taken against violence 
resulting from dating apps and I mean I hate to say that I haven't and I I'm not aware of it and that's something that I'm definitely going to look into after we finish chatting that's something that I've never really thought about before admittedly and that is such a huge issue because like, the only preventative measures that I've ever really come across are the ones that we do on a personal level that we're all familiar with yeah with our friends I know um, um Bumble are working on some things and then I've like having looked into things like Tinder kind of have almost like a token gesture towards like look we do keep our customers safe yeah very performative um what does it actually do there needs to be active change I think it's just I mean it raises awareness which is great but there's only so much you can do with awareness Mm. I think there needs to be a real action like I I mean I spend most of my day dealing with this kind of thing and I haven't seen pretty much anything relating to dating apps specifically which is such a problem in itself and I'm so happy that we've had this conversation because I've been in countless like workshops and things talking about violence against women and non-binary people but dating apps have has never once come up and so but yeah I have not really seen anything and I'm sure they must be out there but it's one of those things I'm gonna have to dig for and it's well I am gonna dig for it as soon as we finish chatting I'm gonna start looking at it and trying to get involved in some of those campaigns Hmm. but personally I hate to say it but I haven't seen I haven't seen many campaigns um dedicated to violence resulting from like meeting on dating apps and things which should be more widely discussed because it's something that nearly everyone has on their phone <laughs> yeah. yeah there's a couple I'm going to end up promoting other things in in the podcast now but there's a couple that um I've come across in research but they're like apps or integrated things within dating apps and things so um tinder is trialing one called noonlight but it's only it's only tri- being trialed in the US at the moment um which is like a similar kind of concept to the app that I'm like working towards um, and then there's another one called Safe Date, which was launched last year. So again, similar kind of concept. But at the moment, they're very sort of like they're simple and you set up like it sends a memo to your friends if you don't check in and things. Um, so I guess, you know, your safety there is, is only as great as your friends are willing for it to be. Exactly. It, it's just so it, it's such a difficult area to, to navigate because there's only so much you can do. It's like, OK, so we'll develop an app where you can share your location and things like that. But it's like, how are we actually going to stop perpetrators from coming on dating apps? But I mean, that's an impossible question. It's like, how are we going to stop perpetrators from coming into bars? You just don't know who they are, which is just a terrifying yeah. and exhausting prospect. You're just kind of like, I give up on everything because I can't trust anyone anymore like it's just so like overwhelming knowing that you're not safe anywhere yeah (laughs) just to interject there a quick word from this episode's sponsors when Bumble contacted me I thought "Mm, is this a brand I really want to align with they're one of the platforms that contribute to the problem that I'm trying to protect people from but Bumble have been doing some really great work and I don't know if you kept up to date with it Bumble founder Whitney Wolf has stated that she created Bumble in 2014 to address the problem that she was seeing surrounding her all the time. All of her successful female friends were waiting around for guys to ask them out and she felt this was something that she could do something about so she created Bumble. Bumble also actively works to prevent racism and sexism while also pushing itself to ensure that it's a safe space for people of all genders, ethnicities, races, sexual orientations and other marginalised communities. Did you know Bumble also have blog posts on their website with everything from how to ask about your date's COVID vaccination status to how to get over your ex and finally move on, which let's be honest, we've all needed that at one point or another. I also recently took part in a survey that Bumble sent out about unsolicited sexually explicit images and the sharing of these online. So it's great to know companies like Bumble are actively working to prevent revenge porn, upskirting, sharing of unsolicited nudes, all of these kind of things that we experience online or on dating apps, which can be really traumatic. Head to the App Store or the Google Play Store now to download Bumble and start swiping until you find the love of your life. Or, you know, whatever it is you happen to be looking for on a Tuesday afternoon, no judgment here. The amount of people that are actually prosecuted Such as for assault is. is so minimal that the majority are just kind of living their lives, have a successful career, which can be the most heartbreaking thing, which is, I mean, another reason why we're campaigning not only for education, but also disciplinary procedure reform in universities, because, I mean, so many universities have this zero tolerance policy, but I mean, I don't know what zero tolerance means. I was speaking to a member of staff at my university the other day and I asked them what zero tolerance meant and they said they had no idea. And 
I just thought, and speaking from so many other people who've shared testimonies of sharing their story of abuse to their university, they don't zero tolerance policy needs either. So it's like they're very tolerant (laughs) (laughs) for having a zero tolerance policy. I mean, the amount of people that I've spoken to where, you know, their abuser or rapist has gone off with a slap on the wrist is heartbreaking. And I think that's the other thing. I think students, especially in university, they're seeing, you know, their rapist, their abuser graduate and then go off and become doctors, lawyers, the works. Yeah. It's just just heartbreaking. Um, And I would imagine for a lot lot of people who've been victims of that then, like that's something that sticks with them and then makes their university life very difficult. And then they feel like almost they're, not achieving their full potential while the other person is going off and happy, oh God, happily yeah. graduating and whatever. Absolutely. It's just... the whole system is just it's just pitted against victims and then even more so victims of marginalized communities i mean there was a there was a rapist sarah everard or rally or like a vigil for sarah everard at our university and they had people speaking on the microphone and one woman really struck me and she said it was a black woman and she came up and she said i'm at the bottom of the totem pole i'm the last person that's going to get help as a black woman who has been raped and that just really it, it really stayed with me mm. um because i mean i talk about how the university system is pitted against us but even more so for people of marginalized backgrounds which is just heartbreaking yeah but there's just minimal justice for anyone really even on an educational institutional level nothing yeah even just on a base level like just give us the information what's your system what's your process tell us what we're going to hear back Hmm. I think there's just so many little things that would just help so much. (laughs) Absolutely. And um, one of the people that I've been speaking to for research as well was saying about how um, like first year university students are like such a prolific group for people who are likely to be victims because, you know, they've just moved away from home most likely. They're just starting to drink and like out at freshers and they're perhaps not as... I don't want to use the word careful because then again that's feeding into victim blaming they're fresh out of school they're still kids they're one minute they're in school living at home and their parents doing their laundry for them and then the next minute they're just kind of at uni and I was speaking to one woman the other day who says something that just it just hit the nail on the head she said that when men come to university they gain this newfound sense of freedom they're like away from home they're away from school they're like yes I can do anything I want and then with that, she said, I felt my freedom being taken from me when I joined university because all the men were gaining so much. So the men really gain their freedom and the women lose their freedom or the women and non-binary people lose their freedom because they have to then live their lives being cautious mm. of these men that have so much newfound freedom then just running wild. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And like, especially with like American frat houses and things like that, I would yeah. imagine the problem so much worse than oh, like God, what yeah. we generally have here. But Even the drinking culture in the UK really like perpetuates it and there's no reason why like you shouldn't be able to go out and like get absolutely sorted and freshers and have a good yeah. time without looking over your shoulder every five minutes and being terrified exactly <laughs> like when you say um like the drinking culture makes it worse it lowers our inhibitions and makes us more vulnerable but that shouldn't be a problem in the first place yeah it is fun you're in freshers like have a good time whatever i don't care like but we should have to worry about how it's affecting our safety mm. i also for parents when they're packing their kids off to uni like you always wonder whether they really know what they're sort of setting their kids up for yeah exactly and like even just after seeing everything that like my friends have been through what I've been through I'm just like how am I gonna have kids without crying every second like worrying about them like going into the world it's just (laughs) not (laughs) the world is scary and it shouldn't be (laughs) like I'm gonna be so protective and never leaving home (laughs) (laughs) fully homeschooled the whole way through and then (laughs) (laughs) what advice would you give to someone who's using dating apps that you think might help them stay safer obviously like without putting the tone of victim blaming and it being their fault if something happens but yeah I think it's so hard I think I think I wouldn't deter someone from using apps because I think that really does feed into victim blaming I think it's like oh well don't do this if you don't want to get assaulted um I wouldn't deter them from using dating apps what I said earlier it's just so difficult I think I'm just trying to think about what advice I would give my sister or my my best friend or someone Mm. that I would genuinely like worried about I think I would give the advice like oh you know tell me where you're going what send me your location things like that which is so sad because 
that could be considered as victim blaming or anything but I think I'd also make it very clear that you know it's not I'm not doing that because it's their fault or anything I'm doing it because unfortunately we have to yeah. um, which is a bit of a kind of cop answer because realistically I'd love to say that you know I wouldn't give them any advice because they can do what they want but realistically if it's someone that I love like I wouldn't want anything to happen to them and I would have to give them the whole the whole stay safe don't come home in your own speech really sad <laughs> it's, it's, like we talk about how it shouldn't be like this and we need to work to make it better and whatever else but then at the moment because of the way it is you, you know you can only give certain advice and that advice generally is let me know where you're going keep checking in with me let yeah, me you up or something it's just practical and I think that's really sad I think as long as you let them know that, that you know it's just something that we have to do it's not because it would be their fault if anything happened I think that's okay I'm just trying to think of it on a really personal level like if like my sister was stood in the room right next to me about to go on a date that is exactly what I'd say I'd be like text me <laughs> which is so sad but it has to yeah, happen <laughs> one of my friends has just started like using dating apps now having come out with I think she's been in a relationship for like seven years oh, um God. and she <laughs> the other day and said like hey like you're one of the closest people that I could think of that I could text in case anything happened this is where I'm going do you mind being my like accountability person or whatever so I think that's like so important to have like a person that you know knows where you're going what's happening that would be like my key bit of advice separate from the whole idea of the fact that we shouldn't have to if it comes down to it my advice would just be have someone who knows where you are and what's happening <laughs> I'm gonna wrap up this um episode there um yeah so thank you for coming on today and talking to us about everything um and just like shedding some light on your opinions on things and everything so thank oh, you so much for that me. do you want to share any of your socials or website or anything like that um yeah so we have our Facebook and Instagram which is both at open your eyes da um and we have a closed facebook group and you can find the link to that on our instagram which is a support group for survivors that you can join you can post anything you want without the judgment of um other people who might not necessarily understand your experiences if you follow the link in our instagram bio we also have a survey where you can tell your story of reporting abuse to your school or university and tell us how they dealt with it and whether you wish that there are any changes in that as well as a petition to implement compulsory consent and relationship workshops. Cool thank you. Thanks for having me it was a really really good discussion. So that's episode two of Tinderella Tales completed, concluded and signed off from me and Lizzie. Thank you so much for listening and a massive thank you to Lizzie for joining us on this episode. You can find Lizzie on her socials at openyoureyesda on Instagram where there's a link through to all of her other platforms as well. Next episode we'll be joined by Jane Jackson, the photographer behind the series Asking For It. Tune in for that next week. Don't forget to like and subscribe and give us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts. Check out our socials and we are in the process of building our website at the moment, but that should be up for you guys shortly. Thanks for listening. Bye.